Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. If you don't know who I am, I'm Michael. I'm the experienced pastor here at the Tree Church. And today we're going to break down Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. And when I first read this passage, it felt very eclectic to me. Right, It almost felt like the book of Proverbs where you're reading just a bunch of different good ideas of, hey, if you want a healthy, happy life, you should do this, and you should do this, you should try this, you shouldn't do this. Right? When I first read this section of Romans, that's how it felt. But after breaking down what I believe are four points that Paul is making, I've realized it's all kind of saying the same thing. So I'm going to start by reading it and break down what I think those four major themes are within, these, within this passage, and then we'll talk about what they all have to do with each other. So let me start by reading Romans 12 verse 14 bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them right off the bat I believe that's one of the most challenging things that is that, that God has asked us to do to bless people that persecute us I can only speak for myself but I'm a very justice-minded person when someone does something wrong to me my initial my gut reaction is justice I want to see something wrong to them. And in most faith structures and most government structures, it's a consistent. People want to see the scales of justice weighed equally. Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus would come and change the economy of how we viewed justice. Uh, the Bible would tell us, God would say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what that means is, if someone were to take out your eye, you don't kill them or, or their family or go above and beyond. You simply remove theirs as well. I like, I like how I said simply, like taking out someone's eye is a really simple thing. But... The point is justice. You don't go above and past, right? You simply do what is right. And it's built into our DNA. It's what feels appropriate. We, when someone hurts me, my desire is to see them come to justice for that. But what Jesus would do is come to earth. He would live a holy life in a sinless, blameless life. Die, be murdered in spite of that, that the lack of sin for people who some of which would never even acknowledge, love, or reciprocate that sacrifice. That is what it looks like to bless someone who persecutes you. Jesus exemplified that so well, and, and he continues to do it to this day. Every time, even myself, I'm a pastor, you'd think I'd have it all right, and I just don't. Every time that I sin, every time that I mess up, I am persecuting God. I'm saying, hey, I know what you did is greater. God, I know that what the holiness you would have for my life is greater, but I want what I want more. But in spite of that, he continues to offer grace, and that changes this economy and the scales of justice. It completely flips him. It's not about giving what you get. It's not about simply uh, justice and seeing people get what they deserve. It's about grace. It's about love. So that's the first thought of the four. Here's the second one, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That one feels a little bit e easier. I think we all know what it feels like to when someone we love experiences something positive that we want to be happy with them. But there's also a very toxic trait inside of all humans uh, that we get jealous and envy and frustrated. And instead of rejoicing with the people around us who are experiencing health or good things, we'll get jealous or we'll get catty, we'll get petty, we'll get upset. And all too often I fall in that trap myself. And having kids has maybe been the most tangible example of this tension that I've yet to see in my life. I have three daughters that are all under uh, three years old, which is just like a story for another time and just so crazy and insane and beautiful. And I love it so much. Um, but there's something that they're teaching me is that people are born broken. Don't tell them I said that because it seems kind of hateful to say that you can tell by your kids that people are born broken, right? But think about it for a second. I watch my daughters, my oldest daughter, Darby. She'll see our middle daughter, Sayla. She'll pick up a toy that was just laying on the floor. Darby didn't want it. And all of a sudden she has this toy and she's playing with it. 
she learned something new about it. She found out it makes this cool sound. And you see this look in Darby's eye where now all of a sudden, in spite of the fact that she wanted nothing to do with this toy five minutes ago, now it's all she wants. All she wants is this toy. So I, she'll literally walk over, push over Sayla, grab the toy, right? And now she's playing with it and Sayla's crying and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. The whole house falls to chaos, right? That's because people are born. She, Darby didn't have this instinctual thing of, of thinking, oh, I'm so glad my sister is enjoying this toy. I'm so glad it looks like she's having fun. Her instinctual reaction is, that looks cool. I want it too. I want it so much that I'm willing to push her out of the way to take it. Right? That's how humans are naturally built. We're built in a way that, yes, at times we do feel joy when other feels joy, but we can also feel jealousy and frustration and being upset by it. And, and I, you know, it's an easy example to look at kids, but I do that all the time. I wish I could tell you that I'm such a mature person, right? And like, man, when something good happens to someone that I love, my only response is how cool is it that they get to experience that? And I'm just so holy and magnanimous, and I think that's so great. That, that doesn't happen a lot of the time. Every time if I see a friend of mine get a cooler house, I might think, oh, it's so cool that they have that house. But like, man, what, what if I got a bigger house too? Or what if I got a cooler car? Or, you know, I've got like a 2007 Jeep and I'll see somebody buy like a 2014 Jeep. And I'm like, man, 14 seems better than seven. That certainly sounds like something I want. And rather than celebrating with them and rejoicing with them and they're trying for something positive in their life, I look at the deficit in my own and I think, man, I want it to be better. And that creates jealousy and envy. So for Paul to say, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's complicated and it stands in opposition to how we naturally operate as humans. Even the concept of weeping with those who weep, that, that, that nobody wants to weep, nobody wants to mourn, nobody wants to be sad. It's the idea that we should feel the, the pain of our fellow brothers and sisters. There's not much log logical sense to it, but in spite of that, it's the design of God and it's something that Jesus exemplified. It's what Paul is putting in front of us. So let's jump to the, th that's the second thing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Again, going back real quick. The first thing is bless those who pers persecute you. Here's the third thing, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So let me read that one more time. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. This is another thing that feels like it almost sounds nice when you hear it. Like, yeah, we should associate with the lowly people, but it's something that, again, st stands in direct opposition to how we're made. Oftentimes, the reason why we engage in friendships, the reason why we engage with people in general is because we feel like we can get something from them. I had a counselor tell me once years ago that people do more what feels good. And, and if it feels bad, they do it less. If something feels good, they're going to do it more. There's a reason why we hang out with the people we do because it makes us feel better. It might make us feel strong or powerful or, or I know if I hang out with somebody who has status, it makes me feel like that by proxy, I also have status. And that's the way, again, it's all about it, that, that God is taking this economy of how we naturally work and asking us to do something better with it. So for us, when I think about associating with someone, I want to associate with smart people. I want to associate with intelligent people, uh, good looking people, people who are really hardworking, who have accomplished much, who have, who have done cool things. Like everybody knows that person at a party who's like, well, yeah, you know, I know I'm friends with this person or I met this person or yeah, we're, we're pretty close. So you, know, you have people like that, that they, that they tout their, their successful friends like it's their own accomplishment because something about that feels good on the inside, which is kind of gross. But it's hard to see it in our own heart. Paul puts words to it, right? He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus literally said, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the lowly. 
That's our responsibility as people, that our time and our energy should be spent evangelizing and reaching out to people. And I think last year was a, let me give a really good example of this. Uh, 2020 was a very divisive year with politics. Uh, I'm a Joe Biden fan. I'm a Donald Trump fan. Um, I don't, I I think the government stuff with coronavirus is too harsh. I don't think it's harsh enough. There there was a hundred different opinions and it was hard to know who's right, who's wrong. What do I believe? Things from racial tension and everyone's not even close to each other. They're just on the internet bashing each other. And a lot of times what, what our natural inclination would be is to surround ourselves with people who are similar to surround ourselves with people who believe the same things. That way we feel good, we feel approved, we feel like our thoughts are good because they're being confirmed by those around us. But, but when Paul says the lowly, I think this can also be applied to people who think differently. Many people view another political party as lowly. But it's not our responsibility to isolate them or cut them out of our life. It's our responsibility to get deeper into their life and love them more and love them better and be more magnanimous and spend more time with them and learn more things from them. And then there's one last thing. It's the very last line of verse 16. Never be wise in your own sight. This kind of tags off of number three, this fourth thing. If you're arrogant, you can't learn. If you think that every thought that I have is the exact right thought at all times, you will never learn something new. You'll never learn a new thought in your whole life. If you walk around with this mentality of, I'm so wise and I have all this knowledge and, and people are lucky they get to hear about it from me or every time I hear an opposing idea or if someone were to tell me that I'm wrong, I get angry and I get upset and I get defensive because how could they doubt me with all of my wisdom and all of my knowledge? But the reality is that's a very fast way to never learn new things. You can go your whole life never learning something new if you're so obsessed and, and so comfortable in your own wisdom. Never count yourself as the wisest person in the room. I had somebody in college tell me once that you have a personal responsibility that every single room that you walk into, define the smartest person in the room and learn from them. And if you ever think you're the smartest person in the room, it's a you problem. You're probably not. Very few of us are. We have a responsibility to learn from other people. So those are the four things, and it feels random. It feels all over the place. We're talking about uh, forgiving people, right? Uh, we're talking about uh, blessing people who are being rude to us, rejoicing with people rather than being selfish. We're talking about weeping with those who are weeping, even though that might not feel comfortable. We're talking about associating with the lowly rather than the powerful and to not count yourself as wise but to, but to glean on the wisdom of other people. And like I said at the beginning, it almost feels like Proverbs. Like, man, that's just a lot of really good random life advice. But after looking at it and breaking it down, I found one common theme with all four of those points. And here it is. Make others greater. Make others greater than yourself. If you want to bless people who are in the process of hurting you, make them greater. If you view them as even the people who would persecute you, to view them greater than yourself and to put them and their needs first, it becomes infinitely easier to give blessing to them because they are worthy of it in spite of their actions saying something different. If you want to rejoice with a friend or someone who's going through something great, make them greater. And then all of a sudden, the fact that your jealousy means less because you're elevating them to even more than the own brokenness in your own heart. If you want to associate with the lowly, make them greater than yourself. You want to associate with the broken, with the sick, with the downtrodden, make them greater. If you want to not think of yourself in the wisest way and think, I'm so smart, elevate others, and all of a sudden everyone is an opportunity to gain wisdom from. And Jesus exemplified this. He exemplified this in his actions, in his behavior, in his death, in his resurrection, by washing feet over and over again. Jesus made other people greater than himself. And here's the most scandalous part of that truth. He didn't have to. If there's anybody 
in the history of the world who had no business elevating somebody over themselves, it was Jesus Christ. He didn't need to. He didn't have to. Jesus was perfect. He was blameless. He was righteous. When you think about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Jesus was the embodiment of spiritual fruit in human form and had no business elevating other people or making others greater than himself, but he did it time and time and time again. Humans have a specific economy. We do things because it's better for us. I want justice because it's better for me. I want to, I, I'm going to, I'm, I, I get jealous because that's what's better for me. It'll lead me to something better. I don't want to celebrate them. I want what they have so my life can be better. I'm going to associate with powerful people because it makes me powerful by being in their, in their, in their, uh, in their vicinity. I want to feel like the smartest person in the room. By admitting that I'm wrong, it means that I'm weak. Right? All of a sudden we have all these things that feel so natural to us. Paul is saying, what if it was all reversed? What if our responsibility is to make others greater than ourselves and all of a sudden all these situations look different and then church, here's what I'm going to promise you. Your quality of life is better. It is empowering to forgive somebody who's actively persecuting you, to love them well, to be generous with them. All of a sudden you feel untouchable. You feel like, well, it doesn't matter what other people do to me because my actions aren't contingent anymore on what they do to me. They're contingent on what God would have for me. You know, when someone, when someone goes through something great or sad and you want to empathize with them and rejoice and weep with them, when you're viewing them as greater, all of a sudden you experience life deeper in community and it makes your life better. Associating with the lowly. When you spend time with people who are lowly that, that, that might at, first val at face value seem like they seem lower than you in status or in money or in power, whatever the case might be, fill in the blank. When you take the time to invest in them, there is a deep, personal sense of gratification because you're operating in the way that God designed us to pre the fall of man. And then not counting on your own wisdom by making other people, by looking at their wisdom and, and growing from them and understanding that, that you're likely not the smartest person in the room. Your quality of life gets better because now you're actively learning more things. So these things might feel tough. It might feel like, wow, that seems like a really boring way to live life or that other people would take advantage of you or you're going to seem weak or you won't feel strong or, or, or you'll be sad because you'll be, you, or whatever the case might be, fill in the blank with, with whatever fear comes with these truths. But I promise you, your quality of life increases because I believe in my DNA, it's a core value of mine that when we're operating in the ways that God designed us to operate, our life is better. And that's the last thought I want to leave you with. The last thought I want to leave you with is that your life will be better if we simply submit and do the things that God has called us to do. And I know I use the word simply, and, let, and just let me clarify. When I say simply, I don't mean that life all of a sudden gets easier or better or less complicated. When you decide to live by these truths, the surrounding situations of your life don't magically go away. You'll still have people persecuting you. You'll still have to deal with jealousy and envy. You're still going to have to deal with your own desire to associate with those who are powerful and the arrogance in our lives to not want to admit that we're wrong or we're going to counter on wisdom. Those things don't just go away. So when I say simple, I don't mean that all of a sudden life becomes easy and you can walk through it and it's a breeze. All I mean is the simple truth that God has something better for us. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would convict us of these things. When we're doing something different, when we're doing something opposite, when we're walking against what you would have for us, when we're walking in our own ambition, I pray that you would profoundly break our hearts, convict us to do what needs to be done for us to understand that you have something better. God, we believe that when we make that prayer, you show up, you move, and you'll honor it every single time. So that's our prayer to you today. 
God, I pray for every single person joining us right now. I pray that they would be touched by your spirit, that they would feel encouraged, they would feel challenged, and I pray that I would as well. In your name we pray, amen.